For this morning's scripture reading, I'll be reading 1 Timothy chapter 2, or not 2 Timothy, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 25. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 25, that is uh, on page uh, 1015 if you're using a, a Bible in the chair rack in front of you. First Peter, starting at uh, chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you, were, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the, among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are, who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while, while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you, are, when you, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges, who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Thank you, Andrew. Last week when we were finishing up um, the eighth beatitude for Matthew 5, uh, I've referenced 1 Peter 2 uh, quite a few times. And so I thought we would take one more Sunday and spend some time actually looking more carefully at 1 Peter 2. And then next week we plan to start a new study in the book of 1 Timothy. So I encourage you to uh, read ahead and spend some time just thinking about 1 Timothy and the message that God gives us uh, through that epistle. Um, let's, let's pray together before... We continue. Father, we are thankful for this time to be together. We're thankful that you 
speak to us through your word, the living word and the written word. And Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say, help us to receive it, to believe it, and may you by your spirit bring our lives into alignment in an ever-increasing way with your word. Help us, help us, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, generally speaking, most Americans spend about a third of their week sleeping. Uh, One third of their week is spent with free time. Um, When I say free time, I mean time to mow the grass, time to do laundry, time to cook meals, time to do the dishes, time to clean the house, repair the car, grocery shop, pay the bills, make home repairs, play with the kids, attend kids' functions, worship together, attend church activities, read, pray, build relationships, get ready for work, drive to work, etc., etc. And then one-third of your week normally is actually working. For some of you, it's, it's more than that. But basically, you spend a lot of time every week working and thinking about work. Work work is, in fact, very important, but since the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden, work has become toilsome. Um, By the sweat of your brow, we're told, you will provide for your family. Uh, Work can consume much of your energy, even if you have a good job and are well compensated and you're treated fairly. However, when you have a boss that's harsh, that's mean, that is unrealistic and difficult to work for, your life can face even bigger challenges. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 23 speaks directly to the relationship of slaves to their masters. But I want to suggest that the truths that, that we learn there can uh, um, the, the truths that apply to sla- slaves and masters in the early church can very appropriately be applied to the workforce today. We, we need God's grace to make our work something that will bring glory to Him. Historically, we're even told that hope-filled Negro spirituals were birthed while laboring as slaves, mostly under very difficult circumstances. God has a lot to say about the work that we endure, the work that we do. According to God's great mercy, we're told in, this, in, in 1 Peter that He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And He gives us grace every day to live in light of that hope, a hope that never dies. By God's all-sufficient grace, you are called to live in a way that will declare the excellencies of Him who's called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Your, your purpose in life is to live in a way that will bring glory to God. You do this when you work as unto the Lord, knowing that He sees and rewards what you do in faith for His glory. 
You do this when you submit to employers, not just those who are good and gentle, but even those who are unjust. You are called to joyfully endure sorrow, joyfully endure endure suffering that comes from an unjust employer without retaliating because Christ suffered for you. So, I want you to think about that just for a moment. Jesus died in your place. Jesus was your substitute on the cross. So let's try to make that more personal. Put your imagination cap on, if you would. Imagine you were standing before God as a guilty sinner, and you were about to die on the cross for your sin. You you deserve it. You know that. You're a guilty sinner. God is holy. He must punish sinners because He is a just judge. He can't wink at sin. He can't just let you go free without justice being served. And so the punishment for your sin must be paid. And so you're ordered to the cross to die, to be separated from God forever. Your offense against a holy God is great, and so the punishment must be great. You will forever live with the agony of being separated from God, experiencing the wrath of God. But then, just just as you were about to step upon the cross, Jesus, the Son of God, sinless and spotless and blameless in every way, willingly steps up and takes your place. Jesus suffered and died in your place. Jesus took upon Himself all of the wrath and punishment that you deserve for your sin. So I ask you to put on your imagination caps just for a moment, but I also want you to know the reality is that Jesus did suffer and die in the place of sinners so that you can be forgiven and you can be reconciled to God. Because Jesus died, because He suffered and died in your place, you can enjoy God forever. Uh, you, you will certainly enjoy God in glory, but you have also begun, if you've experienced His redemption, if you've, if you've been born again and put your faith in Jesus, you have begun to enjoy God even in this lifetime. In fact, God reveals Himself as a God that satisfies today more than anything else. Psalm 63.3 says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Uh, Habakkuk 3.17-19 says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation." God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Psalm 16:11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
Hebrews 12.2, we learn this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 73, verse 25 and 26 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart will fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is all-satisfying in all of life. God is all-satisfying even when, even when you lose your health. God is all-satisfying even when you lose a spouse or a child. God is all-satisfying when you lose a job. God is all-satisfying when you work for a harsh, a mean, a nasty boss. God is all-satisfying when you are in prison and persecuted and even killed for the gospel. God is all-satisfying in all of life, in this age and in the age to come. Jesus suffered and died for you so that you can know God as the all-satisfying God that He is. And when you are satisfied in Him completely, you will be living in a way that will declare the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You, you'll be living in a way that will bring Him glory. As John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God can be glorified in your life when everything is going well. However, the opportunity for you to bring glory to God is magnified when you live your life in a way that will bring glory to God as you suffer even unjustly. When a job doesn't satisfy but God does, He is most glorified. And so, because Christ suffered for you, you are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus when you suffer unjustly. Verse 21 of 1 Peter 2 says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving an example that you might follow in His steps. So how do you do that? Well, here's how. First of all, you must avoid deserved suffering. Verse 22 says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. Uh, verse 20 asks, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. And the answer is absolutely no credit. There's no benefit to that. If you suffer for doing something wrong, something stupid, something sinful, something foolish, there's, there's no glory in that. God's not glorified in your suffering when you suffer because of your own sin. 
Instead, Jesus suffered for you. Uh, we learn about that in Isaiah 53.9. Isaiah 53 vividly portrays the Messiah as the suffering servant, but it's critical to understand that the Messiah suffer, Messiah's suffering was not for his own sin. Instead, Jesus suffered for you. Jesus died in your place for your sin, not for his own. Uh, Jesus was innocent. He committed no sin, neither by word or deed. So when you follow the footsteps of Jesus, you must avoid deserved suffering. Um, certainly we won't be sinless uh, like Jesus, but the point is this, that there must be a desire in our heart to be committed to doing what is right in God's eyes so that if you suffer, you won't be suffering because of your own sin. There, there's no glory in suffering for your own wrongdoing. So if you want to follow in the steps of Jesus, that's what discipleship really is. You follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Your suffering won't be for your own sin. Doing the right thing, though, doing the right thing, though, is put to the test when you are sinned against by another person. When someone mistreats you, how do you respond? When a, an employer speaks to you in a disrespectful way, how will you speak to him or her? Verse 23 tells, tells us how Jesus responded. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. So if you follow the example of Jesus, don't let being mistreated become an excuse for your sin. Uh, Jesus was pushed, he was tempted, he was tried more than any of us. Satan unleashed his greatest weapons on Jesus, but Jesus never, ever let the sin against him become an excuse for him to respond in a sinful way. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. I want you to listen to just a, a couple of passages that speak about the kinds of things that Jesus endured. Matthew 26, 66-68. What is your judgment, they answered? He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? Matthew 27, verse 11 through 14. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Then in Matthew 27, verse 27 through 31, we read, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus in the governor's headquarters, and they gathered a whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. 
And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. And jumping down to verse 35, And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then the two robbers were, who were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the, one on the left, um, and then those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests, when the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. In a moment, we're going to talk a little bit about why Jesus responded the way that he did. But first, let me ask you, um, have, you ever, have you ever been mistreated by a boss or, or by anyone? Have you ever experienced being mistreated? Have you ever been falsely accused? Have you ever been slapped or spit upon? Have you ever been mocked or laughed at? Have you ever been pushed and challenged by someone in a mean and sinful way? How did you respond? Or maybe how were you tempted to respond? If you were to respond in your flesh, um, and when I talk about flesh, I'm talking responding in a sinful way, a selfish way, a self-protecting way. If, if you responded in your flesh, what would you say or what would you do if you were mistreated? When you are in, this, in those kinds of situations, what do you think? What goes through your mind? Do, do you ever think, I'm not going to let anybody disrespect me like that. Do you ever think, I'm not going to let anyone treat me like that. What do you do? Do you retaliate? Do you lash back with your words? Do you, do you defend yourself by beginning to assault them? Do you throw all of their sins up into their face to hurt them? Or maybe you just want to smack them. Uh, maybe you, you don't hit them physically, but you threaten to clean their clock if they, don't, if they talk like that to you again. Maybe you don't immediately retaliate because you know that you'll suffer even more, but in your heart you get really, really bitter. You boil inside. And you tell everybody what they have done and how bad of a person they really are and how you've been mistreated. You, you begin to hate them intensely. You desperately want to see them suffer. You, you would love to see them crash and burn. 
that's the kind of stuff that our flesh, our sinful, selfish, self-protecting, uh, old self, the stain of sin, that's how it wants to respond. Maybe you know that you shouldn't say or think some of the things that you do in response to being mistreated, but you justify it in your mind by saying, look what he did. I just couldn't take it anymore. If I don't stand up for, for myself, nobody will. He, he, he pushed my buttons, and he, he made me do it. What else was I supposed to do? I want you to know it is so easy for us to justify our responses, sinful responses, when we are mistreated. But we can never, ever let someone else's sin become an excuse for our sin. You and I are responsible before God for our response when we're mistreated by another person. So, how should we respond? <laughs> what should we say? What should we not say? What example did Jesus set for us? What has what Jesus called you to? Look at verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In other words, don't, don't hijack justice by retaliating. Instead, trust the sovereign Lord to bring about justice in his time. When, when we react in our flesh, when we're mistreated, we hijack justice. We, we try to do God's job. We, try to, we, we don't trust God to bring about justice in his time. We demand that justice is served right now in the way in which we want it to be served. We, we don't let God be God. We try to be God. So let me mention two possible outcomes and then three personal responses that will, in fact, glorify God if you've been mistreated. Let, let me talk first about three personal responses that will glorify God. One is that with joy, you trust God with your entire life. As G Jeremiah 11 20 teaches us God God sees God judges justly we can trust him in Hebrews chapter 12 verse uh, verse 1 and 2 we learn that Jesus for the joy set before him the joy of doing his father's will which meant enduring suffering enduring being mistreated being mocked and ridiculed and spit upon for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. And then it says, and now is seated at the right hand of God. I love that. Oftentimes we focus on just the suffering that he responded with joy. But in the end, you see how God responded. He is now seated at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven. We're told in 1 Peter 3.9 to bless those who do evil against us. Bless rather than returning evil for evil. Our flesh 
You, you don't have to work hard to respond with evil for evil. Our flesh just naturally wants to go there. But it's the Spirit of God, when we are alive in Christ, it's the Spirit of God that enables us to return a blessing for someone who has treated us with evil. Last week, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12, we learn where Jesus says, Blessed are you, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So when we are committed to conforming to God's revealed will, no matter what the cause, and we suffer for that unjustly, we suffer from those who hate Christ. Jesus says, you're blessed. You have my stamp of approval upon your life in such a way that you experience joy in your heart that you've, you've done the will of God. Even if you've had to suffer for doing it, there's joy in your heart for doing the will of God. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. So, with joy, trust God with your entire life. So, you, you can do that when everything's going well, but you can also do that when, when the world comes at you in, in not-so-nice ways. You, you can trust God with your life. God, help me to respond in a right way. You are in charge. You are just. You will deal with this. Help me to respond to being mistreated in a way that will honor you. Tr trust God with your entire life not just when it's it's going well but but when the wheels fall off and you're being mistreated and it's unjust and it hurts you you can trust god secondly be committed in your heart to return good for evil uh, romans chapter 12 verses 14 through 21 is so important and in very practical ways it it talks about Make every effort to, to, to do what is right um, in, in relationships. So we want to do what God calls us to do to the best of our ability. So if it's possible, live at peace with all people. But sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes there are enemies. Sometimes we have people who are against us. And we can work hard to try to make peace, but sometimes peace cannot be had. And in those situations, we should not retaliate. That passage teaches us, don't retaliate. Leave room for God's wrath. God says, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. If he's hungry, give him something to eat. That is such practical instructions. Um, be kind to someone who is unkind to you. If you have a bully in school that knocks... Uh, books out of your hand, pick them up, and look, look for ways to be a blessing to him. Look for ways to show kindness to him. Don't, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by doing good, because you know that God sees the situation, and God will deal with that situation. Your response is to return good for evil. Uh, James 5, 6-9 teaches us to be patient. Sometimes it's hard to be patient. Sometimes when we're patient, we're enduring things that aren't the final, it's not the result that we really want. We're enduring through hard things. 
But in James 5, verse 6 through 9, it talks about being patient because the Lord is coming. The Lord will come soon. And when the Lord comes, the Lord will repay those who have afflicted you. Um, in in for, uh, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, it talks about that. It's a powerful text. It's a, it's a sobering text. So be committed to returning good for evil. That's a response that will bring glory to God. And third, be ready to forgive as God has forgiven you. If you are an individual that has experienced the forgiveness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, that becomes the paradigm, that becomes the, the power that will enable you to not be overcome with bitterness, with rage, with with malice, to have had this anger in your heart towards those who have mistreated you. Instead, you'll be enabled to be kind and compassionate, and in your heart, you will be ready to forgive. And so if they come and they say, you know what, I was wrong for being a bully to you. I was wrong for being harsh against you. If they come and say, I was wrong, will you forgive me? You can say, yes, I, I will forgive you because God has forgiven me. I can forgive you. And there will be opportunity for reconciliation. Be ready to forgive as God has forgiven you in Christ. And sometimes it's hard for us to be willing to forgive. And we want to hang on to bitterness and that's when we rehearse again and again and again all of what God has done for us in Christ. Forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. So those are three personal responses that will glorify God. And then two possible outcomes that will glorify God. One is that the abuse of one may find forgiveness because Jesus took his punishment on the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, he, he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He, he demonstrated that willingness to forgive that one who came and confessed and sought forgiveness. The abuse of one, that's really our desire. Um, we, we know that God will bring about uh, revenge, um, but our, our chief desire for them the, the one who has mistreated us to experience the mercy of God, as we've received the mercy of God. So we pray to that end, that the abuse of one may find forgiveness in Christ, as we have found forgiveness in Christ. But if that doesn't happen, the second possible outcome is that the, the abuse of one may find justice when Jesus returns to bring judgment. Turn with me in your Bible to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, let me just read that here this morning. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 through 12. Maybe you're a problem solver and you love for problems to go away. You want, you want a resolution to a problem. <laughs> you, you want a broken relationship to be healed. Um, you want mistreatment to stop. 
And so you can do all of the things that God calls you to do to respond in a way that will reflect the character of Christ. But there still might not be peace. And in this passage, it tells us that the Lord sees that, and there is a day coming when that one who is abusive will, will experience the justice of God. Um, and that means sometimes we might have to wait until Jesus comes again. So our, our waiting for justice sometimes might be for a week or a month or a year, or it might even be for a lifetime. But justice will come. Listen as I read, starting in verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you far for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you and the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all of your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not, do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus." they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Because our testimony to you is believed. To this end, we, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good in every work of faith by His power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in Him, according to the grace of our, our, our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we, because we've experienced the mercy of God, when there is an enemy that's harassing us, we desire for them, too, to experience the mercy of God. But if that doesn't happen, and we even endure a lifetime of being mistreated, know in your heart and believe in your heart, as this passage teaches us, there will be a day coming when God will repay them with the affliction the way in which they have afflicted you. Justice matters to God, and God will bring about justice. And so if you are a Christian, I hope you know how blessed you really are. Could there be anything greater than being restored to a right relationship with the living God where we can enjoy Him? He's our refuge and strength. Even when we live in a, in a sin-cursed world where we are mistreated and endure suffering. We have the privilege to live in a relationship, a right relationship with the true and living God. You're blessed if you know God. 
Secondly, do you know that you are called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light? As we talked about in Sunday school this morning, um, those, those who don't believe, they don't believe because they're not my sheep, is what Jesus teaches us in John 10. But if you hear the voice of Jesus and you believe the voice of Jesus, it's because he's made you one of his sheep. And if you are one of his sheep, you have the distinct privilege to live your life in a way that will declare the excellencies of him who called you out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of light. And you can do that when your life is going well, but you have a greater opportunity to do that when you suffer unjustly. Are you willing to do that? Let, let me say this. No matter what happens in your life, enjoy God. Be satisfied with God. For the joy set before you, embrace the ministry that He has called you to. A, a ministry sometimes of enduring suffering for doing good. A life of following in the footsteps of Jesus may include that. Be prepared for that. Accept that. Embrace that. For the joy set before him, he endured that cross. Let's pray together. Father, my heart... My heart is just overwhelmed with thankfulness for Jesus and what he endured for me. For I too was once his enemy, and he made me his very own. And he could do that, you did that through him, because Jesus was willing to suffer in my place, experience your wrath, so that your justice is satisfied and he is... You were able to forgive me of my sin, the guilt, my offense against you. And I, I'm just overwhelmed this morning as I just think about the way in which you have blessed me and blessed us in Christ. And we thank you and we praise you for that. What a joy it is to know you and to live under your sweet authority. Father, I, I'm aware too of how easily I can respond in my flesh in those times when I may be mistreated or not treated the way in which I think I should be treated. And I ask you to forgive me for those times when I respond in my flesh. And Father, I cry out asking for your mercy and your grace. Enable me by your Spirit to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and to entrust my life into your good and faithful hands in those times when I am mistreated. And would you, by your Spirit, help me to respond, not in a sinful way, but in a way that would reflect the character of Jesus for the praise of your glory. Father, we are weak in ourselves, but we're thankful that you have given to us your spirit, and it is by the power of your spirit, I know, 
that we can follow in the footsteps of your son. Help us to do that for our good, but ultimately for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.